From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. When you think of innovation, what comes to mind? It might be a company like Tesla, a founder like Steve Jobs, or even a location like Silicon Valley. But what is unlikely to come to mind is a religious order that has been around since 1540, where each member takes a vow of poverty. But that is exactly the focus of today's episode, the Jesuits, a religious order of the Catholic Church that was founded by Ignatius of Loyola, who today is most often known for their focus on education and the founding of many world-class universities across the United States. Today's guest is Father Nicky Santos, a Jesuit priest who also has a master's degree in moral theology, an MBA, and a PhD in marketing. He explains that it is not only education that the Jesuits are pioneers in, but that they also have been on the frontier of innovation. I like to say that innovation starts with imagining a better future. And Father Nicky explains that that's exactly what the Jesuits have been trained to do. As he said, the early Jesuits were going all across the world and getting people to imagine possibilities that they had never imagined before. Our conversation touches on Father Nicky's journey from India to the priesthood and the multiple degrees he has gotten along the way, his theory of grams, which are the Jesuit principles that he believes also drive innovation, and what he thinks the future of Jesuit education and innovation will be. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. Father Nikki, welcome, and thanks for joining me today on Innovators on Tap. Thanks, Chuck. It's great to be here. So it's my understanding that when you were growing up in India, that while you, I think, were a senior in high school, you had this feeling that you wanted to become a priest. And the story I, I heard you recount is that you were waiting for a sign, but nothing came. You went on to college, you become an accountant. And then while you're practicing as an accountant, this priesthood idea comes back to you in a dream. And so you decide to go on a discernment retreat. While doing that, actually get this sign that God was calling you. I think this is a concept that so many lay people struggle to understand or appreciate. And what I was hoping is, can you give us some insight of what it was like to get the sign from God? Sure. Yeah. You know, so so to go back to the high school, you know, when I had this kind of desire, but a lot of it was driven by by me. And when I was looking back at my life and seeing how God was there in my life, that I felt I wanted to give my life back to God. But then, like, you know, there was always at the back of my mind uh, the example of all these people who joined and left. And that's why I was like, you know, my bargain with God was, if you want me to join, then you got to give me a sign. <laughs> uh, but I was, you know, I was at this point where I was taking a break from my accounting career, trying to figure out, did I want to kind of go deeper into that? I already started some computer programming. I was trying to decide between that or whether to start my own business. And, you know, that's where this... Think the priesthood uh, concept came back in a dream. So I, I did this discernment uh, retreat, and it, it was, <laughs> you know, it was it was torture. 
<laughs> because it was five days of pure hell. <laughs> on, on one day, I would feel very strongly that God was calling me to be a priest. On the next day, I would feel very strongly that God was calling me to be a layperson and to serve him. And so here I was at the final day, final uh, Eucharist, and the priest was reading the, the gospel reading. And I remember I had this profound, uh, it's very difficult to uh, kind of uh, explain it because it, it was a mystical experience. It was as if my whole being was saying yes to God. And so that was, you know, that was when I kind of, uh, like, you know, felt that I got my sign. It's an amazing story. And I understand from there, you you do become a priest. And along the way, you then go on and get a master's degree in moral theology. But you also, at some point, get an MBA and a PhD in marketing. So, you know, one of the challenges I found is that in business, running a company, there's almost like this very strict separation of, you know, what your beliefs are, your spiritual beliefs, your religious beliefs, and what has to happen in the business world. And it seems like you're, you know, you're sitting there teaching business students with a background as a priest. How do you help them get around that tension? And, you know, because to me, I think my Jesuit background applied far more in my development as a leader than I think I understood. But I don't know that I would have ever talked about it that way because I would have thought it you're not allowed to until later on, right? So how do you how do you help students get past that tension that that's like you're not allowed to connect these two ideas? Ignatius really kind of like he blended these two by by putting forth this idea that we are contemplatives in action, that we cannot separate uh, who we are as like you know, from in the faith perspective from who we are in our daily lives. We cannot think of them as two separate, uh, as two separate uh, realities. I mean, you know, it's it's you. It's not like you know that your your being a Catholic or a Muslim or a Jew is different from you know your your being this business person or being uh, this entrepreneur or being this innovator. I want to go down that path a little further. You've uh... You know, you've talked about these five principles, which I think you've called grams, and they're really how you apply Jesuit thinking and innovation and business and, and bring these ideas together. And so I was wanting you to maybe take a minute and kind of explain a little bit of, you know, where do these ideas come from in the Jesuit teachings and then how do you apply them? And maybe we can just start with the first one, which I think is God in all things. So that was, again, you know, Ignatius's profound experience as he, he just had this conversion and he's spending time you know, on the banks of the river Cardone, you know, holed up in this cave in Manresa. And um, he has this profound insight where he sees all of reality infused with God's presence. Uh, this whole thing of uh, God in all things is really an expression of that profound experience that he has is that no realm is outside of God's presence. And, um, you know, I think that lay, that has laid the foundation for, <laughs> we've had Jesuit astronomers, Jesuit physicists and mathematicians. And, and that's what I tell my students too, like, you know, in terms of uh, that. Uh, so when, when they see a, you know, a professor in a collar, like the same thing, like, you know, like a business professor <laughs> being a priest, kind of like, you know, what you mentioned before. But I think uh, this uh, understanding of God in all things really allows us to have this perspective that there is no realm that is outside God's presence. So how about the idea of risk-taking? 
Yeah, so you know, so risk taking again is you know, basically on the on on this foundational uh, element of really trusting God, God fully, and being willing to willing to kind of just abandon ourselves to God's care. Um, so you know, so when we join the Jesuits, we have this period, this two years, which is called the novitiate, and we have a number of experiments. I was sent to this uh, village uh, back in the state, for, you know, where, where I grew up in, uh, in Maharashtra in India, and I didn't know anybody in that area. And all, all I was given was the bus fare to go to that place and back. And I was told just to take one change of clothes, and that was all. And the people over there, my host family, all that they were told was that there's this person come, can you host him for like, you know, two weeks? Uh, that's a risk. Right? It's it's a huge risk, but but that lays the foundation for us, uh, Jesuits, as we go along to be able to abandon ourselves to God's care and to be able to take uh, those kinds of uh, risks which we otherwise would not have taken. Because otherwise, you're always calculating like, who do I know there? Can I, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? Uh, how much money would I need for my trip? <laughs> you know, you go with nothing. <laughs> you it's like you know, it's just being thrown overboard. Yeah, it's this idea that you, instead of worrying about what could go wrong or how you might fail, you're forced to just believe it's going to work out. It, it truly is. It's a, it's an incredible faith or trust experiment. And it's interesting, you know, when when I try to explain it to people, I, I try to actually put them in situations where they actually will fail, because once they survive it, they realize, hey, that wasn't all that bad. But you're actually the Jesuit idea is actually at a level above that, right? It's this. It's just complete trust. It's going to work itself out, and you got to let God help you. That's an amazing concept. So, how about the um, the third one? I think is agility. Yeah, that's you know, <laughs> Ignatius has this uh, famous like this image uh, of standing on uh, one foot, or you know, having one foot raised, uh, ever ready to change to change direction. You know, I was just I, I was just thinking of uh, your own experience, Chuck, with uh, HP and then the move to Cree, right? And initially, um, you were not all that agile because uh, you had both your feet on the ground with HP. And uh, but then later on, with you know the advice that your wife Karen gave you, you were able to kind of like you know raise that one leg and take that risk of uh, of being more agile. But I think so. So so agility is really this. Uh, Ability to change direction, to be uh, willing to kind of like, you know, to move in a different direction if you feel that that's what God is calling you to. Otherwise, we can be fixated on like, you know, going on the path that we have decided. So I think, you know, agility allows us to kind of to, to shift. I think that's important for uh, innovation. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting you described to me that the agility and the risk-taking were so intertwined for me because my fear of failure limited my agility. And it wasn't until I embraced this idea that think about what good could happen here. Think about what you might learn. And, and what I learned is there is to see the possibility instead of what might not happen. And I think what my dad's challenge was is that like any good parent, especially one who grew up in the Great Depression, he knew what it was like to lose everything, and he spent most of his life trying to protect against that. Although later on, he was certainly happy I made that choice. But uh, he did mention he would have never done it himself, but uh, he was glad I did. So how about the fourth idea of mobility? Yeah, so uh, this is again connected with, uh, with uh, agility, and it's really being able to move at short notice. 
Now, it doesn't happen so much uh, these days, but um, in days past, you know, a superior could come uh, to a Jesuit and say, hey, we need you in South Dakota. Can you, uh, you know, pack your bags and go tomorrow? <laughs> and, and, you, and we'll see this in stories of the early Jesuits as well. I mean, they were ready to move at very, very short notice. It's really, it's really the ability uh, not to have too much of baggage and uh, to be willing to kind of like, you know, move from place to place where the need is the greatest. I mean, I, who, who would have thought that I would be where I am today? <laughs> I mean, when I, when I joined the Jesuits in 1990, uh, I, you know, I didn't even have a passport. And when I was uh, getting ordained, uh, the Jesuit provincial asked me, do you have a passport? And I said, why do I need one? And he said, of course you need one. You're a Jesuit. <laughs> you can be called to go anywhere. <laughs> Let me move on to the fifth idea, which is spiritual freedom. Because this is the one I... I'm not sure those words I necessarily go, hmm, how does that relate to, to innovation or business? So. so it's connected with some of these other things like risk-taking, agility, and mobility, is that you can get caught up with uh, disordered affections. Those disordered affections could be relationships, they could be uh, to the place, they could be to ideas. Well, you probably saw that uh, article in America, uh, I think in 2019, by Father Kevin O'Brien. Um, the president of Santa Clara, and he talks about, um, you know, in, because Santa Clara is in Silicon Valley, right? And so there's all the talk, all the time, innovation and disruptive innovation. And um, the Facebook model of uh, move uh, move quickly and break things, whatever, like, you know, move fast and, uh, and break things. And then you kind of come up with disruptive innovations. But he kind of like, you know, he... Uh, proposes this whole idea of moving thoughtfully, of uh, interjecting disruptive innovation with uh, with discernment, you know, for a deeper ethical reflection, trying to ask as to why we do what we do, instead of just moving fast and breaking things in terms of, you know, what are we breaking? Is it worth breaking what we're breaking for the sake of the innovation, right? And so I think uh, uh, a lot of that that takes place in this realm of, uh, of spiritual freedom. And so that whole area of discernment that Father O'Brien really talks about is really this, um, you know, it's linked with it's linked with discernment, it's linked with trust in God, it's linked with freedom from um, these uh, disordered affections that can disorient you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's go fast, break things, do, move quickly, and do it with purpose and thoughtful purpose. Right. There's a, there that's there's that piece of this that's like uh, when we were developing the Creality bulb, it, uh, you know, it was a piece of technology, and we were very excited about it because it was cool new technology. But the thing that motivated most of us every day was how cool was it you were going to develop something that was also going to fundamentally change the amount of energy we consumed every day, and that we could do something good overall for society and others by developing this thing. And, uh, you know, I'm now pursuing something in the healthcare field and it's, it is fun to pursue innovation with a purpose that maybe also, um, helps others and, uh, accomplishes more than just selling widgets for the sake of widgets. Um, so I'm going to switch gears now and I want to ask you a series of questions that get kind of into you, Father Nikki's mindset and how you would handle certain aspects of leadership or innovation. So I want to start with the first question, which is, do you believe that your success in life has come more from avoiding failure or embracing failure? 
I think it goes back to the distinction you make between managing and leading. You know, when we are managing, we tend to kind of like define success in a particular way. And that is a result of which we kind of like, you know, we talk about not achieving those goals and therefore we failed. We failed to achieve our targets. We failed to achieve our, you know, quarterly earnings. But if you're innovating, you don't talk of failure because you're, you're always constantly learning, right? It doesn't, it, if, if you if you have a broader goal, right? Then as you try different things towards achieving that goal, you'll discover some things work, some things don't work. And so, I, you know, I'm going back to my days at Marquette and I, you, you've had uh, Keith Stanley and Ron Altenberg on the show. They've been involved with the Near West Side uh, Initiative and they've been, you know, it's basically a broad, a broad vision of uh, trying to create a thriving community uh, in a neighborhood that was traditionally distressed, right? And you're trying different things. You're trying to create, you know, entrepreneurship. You're trying to create a grocery store. You're trying to deal with all these things. So, but some of these things work. Some things, these things don't work. And so when I look at even that initiative, I'm saying, you know, I don't know how I would kind of look at like failure i think it's just like you try a new thing uh, for me at least so i keep trying <laughs> and i learn from uh, you know what works or doesn't work but it, it doesn't kind of uh, bog me down you know so many of the people we've talked with uh have a similar comment to yours which is they don't really think of it as failure they really think of it as learning and that as long as they're learning then they're on a journey to somewhere better and they don't have to know where it is exactly you just keep going so Second question is if you're going to build a team and you specifically want this team to really focus on innovation, what do you think is more important to their success? Embracing a culture of brutal honesty, even if it makes people uncomfortable, or creating an environment of psychological safety where you actually ask people to adjust the conversation to actually avoid confrontation and make sure everyone's comfortable? Yeah, <laughs> brutal, brutal honesty <laughs> is you know honesty is the best policy. I think uh, if you want to if you want to move the needle, if you want to make change, um, you want people who are willing to take risks, who are willing to be agile, to be mobile, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but uh, you know, and the only way the only way we can learn is by being honest, right? Otherwise, we're just uh, we are just trying to feel good and uh, make each other feel good, and, and we don't we don't go anywhere because it doesn't achieve anything so when you have to approach a problem are you more likely to be someone that is going to approach it by thinking outside the box try to build a better box or just set the box on fire and do something completely different set the box on fire <laughs> ignatius has set the world on fire i think he meant set the boxes on fire uh, and again, part of our MBA training, we you know we have that classic example of trying to connect those nine dots without lifting the pencil from the paper, right? And then you have to go out of the framework. And so this whole thing of that we need to think out of the box to come up with uh, with creative solutions. But what you know, no, we we never learned in M the MBA. The thing was that the paper, the pencil, and the dots themselves were all constraints, right? And so, and so, it's really, and part of uh, Ignatian imagination is really kind of like to 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 imagine, you know, without without being constrained by the boxes, and then trying to uh, figure out how to, with uh, you know, as you come up with the solutions, how do you take into account 
the constraints, whether they're organizational constraints or personnel constraints or resource constraints um, in achieving that. And so, you know, that's why Ignatius was called a, a pragmatic idealist. <laughs> so he liked to, you know, dream big things, but then how do you, uh, at the same time, how are you pragmatic, right? When you're advising your students on how they should learn to evaluate talent, do you give them any must-have characteristics that they should look for? Or if that's not something you do, how about when you're evaluating others as part of your own Jesuit community? Yes, you know, you're really you're really trying to kind of gauge how passionate uh, people are about what they are doing and, you know, what they're hoping to accomplish in life. Is it about them? Is it about uh, society? Is it about, you know, others? Um, so that's, if you have somebody who is just kind of like, you know, influenced so much by what other people say about them, or even their trajectory has been influenced by what their parents want of them, or like, you know, peers, they're not going to be self-driven. At the same time, you don't want them to be that self-driven that like, you know, they, it's only about them and not about others. And I think you make, uh, if, I, if, I, if I remember correctly in your book, you do make that difference between um, the ego and, um, and uh, you know, the organization. So I think I think that's a very healthy tension that you that you need to have. You need to be to some extent self-driven. At the same time, it's not only about you, but it's about us. Yeah, that's exactly what we were looking for. And it's a tricky one to find out. I mean, especially when you're building a team, right? Because you can figure that out over time as you get to know someone, but you know, in a traditional business setting, you're sitting in a room or today you're having a Zoom call with someone trying to figure out who they really are. And I think, uh, yeah, it was an ongoing challenge, but probably one of the most fun parts of what I got to do because you know, at the end of the day, if you build a great team, you're going to be successful. And if you don't, you're pretty much not. I, at the end of the day, it comes down to the people. So do you have any advice for aspiring innovators? Innovating with purpose and, and trying to make the world a better place kind of aligns well with uh, with the Jesuit uh, philosophy so that innovation is not just for yourself, um, but it is really um, almost like, you know, that you are co-creating with God uh, to make uh, the world a better place. And that would be my advice. Yeah, kind of uh, embrace the Marquette slogan of really what does it mean to be the difference, right? Yeah, yeah. So before we wrap up, is there something – else you want to talk about or you wish we would have talked about? Yeah, Chuck, you make, you know, uh, so uh, again, in your book, you make the distinction between you know, people and process, right? And uh, that innovation is all about, is all about people, not process. Um, and I get that because like the Jesuit innovation system, right? And so we've been successful because we've been able to have this balance between structure and flexibility, Right. So, so structure which gives some kind of stability uh, to ongoing kind of growth and, and remaining in existence, but flexible enough that people can be innovative and come up with new ideas constantly. So I was, I was curious as to what is your understanding of process and like, you know, how do you see that uh, the difference between people and process? Yeah. So, you know, when I talk about people versus process, what I was getting at is this idea that if someone doesn't have the right mindset, 
they don't have a set of core beliefs that allow them to take risk. In other words, honestly, if they, if they, whether they know it or not, share these Jesuit principles we just talked about, right? If they don't have those, I can give them all the process in the world, but they're going to get stuck. You can't tell someone to take risk who's afraid of risk. Getting someone's mindset in the right place at the end of the day, has more to do with innovation success than anything you can do on the process side. And so I'm, I'm trying to tease out that tension. Now, I do think there are tools you absolutely can use. I think there are. Structure can be helpful, but only if those principles are right. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> And, you know, having been in Milwaukee for a couple of years, coming after being at, uh, in Silicon Valley in Santa Clara for a couple of years, I could see the difference between, you know, the talking about mindsets, right? The Silicon Valley mindset, which was like, you know, they're willing to fail over there, and the Milwaukee mindset of the entrepreneurs, where like, you know, you 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 know, you can't fail. You 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 spend a lot of time trying to come up with these plans, and then you want them to succeed. You just cannot like afford uh, to have them fail, which is totally different uh, in terms of mindsets. Well, like I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I, I we'll have to have this conversation again, though, because I would like to take these ideas now and and take them to the next level. I think there is there is so much in the ideas you laid out today. How we translate those to what happens in Silicon Valley? I think if we could connect those dots for people, we could get them to embrace these Jesuit principles even more. Yeah, I think so. Well, thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Father Nikki for joining me at Innovators on Tap and sharing his perspective on the difference between managing and innovating. When we are managing, we tend to define failure in a pretty particular way. But if you are innovating, you don't talk of failure because you're always continuously learning. I also appreciate him challenging each of us to look beyond business cliches and take time to really think about what we're trying to do. When he said, you can have Facebook's ideas of move fast and break things, but sometimes you need to move thoughtfully. You need to have discernment and ask yourself, is this worth breaking for the sake of innovation? I want to thank all of you who have embraced this show and helped us grow our audience. We're really proud of our success, but we're still getting started and hope you'll tell your friends about the show. We'd also really appreciate it if you would take a minute to rate the show and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us on this journey and let's go change the world.